So you guys know, if uh, you hear these words once upon a time, you're about to hear what? A history lesson, right? A poem. No, a story. A story, of course. You hear a story. And just so you know, I've tried to gear this so our kids who are with us throughout the service today can be engaged at some level too. But you you know you're going to hear a story. Now, once upon a time, you know it's a fictional story. Uh, There's another thing that's out right now that lets you know you're going to hear a story. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Some of us love this story. Some of us geek out over this story. My house was divided over this story recently as one of us liked it and one of us didn't. And, you know, our kids couldn't believe it. But you know you're going to hear a story, like it or not. Uh, One of our staff members who a week ago before the movie came out sent me a thing from the Babylon Bee. It's a satirical uh, website, and uh, it was kind of an opinion piece, and the author was saying, Lord Jesus, we know this time of year we look back and we celebrate your first coming, and we also celebrate at Advent your second coming, and Jesus, we long for that day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but please, 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 not until I get to see The Last Jedi. (laughs) Gary Crumpton, Christian nerd. Stories are powerful. Once upon a time, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, you know you're about to hear something, and often there's a powerful nature to a story. What we celebrate at this time of year is also a story, but it's far different from once upon a time. Because when you read the Gospels, they don't start with once upon a time or a long time ago in a place far, far away. They start with this is how it began. So-and-so was born to so-and-so, to so-and-so, to so-and-so, showing, establishing something in history. They talk about Caesar Augustus requiring a census at the time of Quirinius, showing that these are things, this is a story, but it's not fictional. It's grounded in history. This is one of the most powerful stories told, and it's true, which is an amazing thing. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time, here's the problem. We know the story so well, we can just go through the motions this time of year, right? We get so caught up in the gift buying. We get so caught up in the traditions of Christmas. Maybe we get caught up in the sentimentality of it in different ways. And what happens is these things, not bad, can cause us to forget what the story is all about and what we're celebrating in the first place. If you've been a Christian a long time, you've probably heard this story from many different perspectives. We've all heard it told from the perspective of Mary and Joseph. You've probably heard it told from the perspective of the shepherds out in their fields. Maybe you've heard it from the perspective of the wise men, pagans, seeing this great sign And the wonder of it and how they were called to worship a king they had never met. You may have heard it even told from the perspective of the innkeeper who had to turn Mary and Joseph away. Uh, This fall, a movie came out called The Star, which is all about telling the Christmas story from the perspective of what? Kids, the animals, right. Some of you saw this. So there's all these different perspectives. Let me ask you this. What if we could hear the Christmas story 
from a different perspective. What if you could actually hear the Christmas story from the perspective of heaven itself? I wonder if if we could hear that, would it change how we think about this story? Would it change what we think is important about it? And maybe even how we celebrate and appreciate what we do today and tomorrow. Well, you know the good news? You don't have to wonder whether or not you can hear this story from the perspective of heaven because actually the Bible gives it to us. And I learned after first hour, a lot of people didn't know this. And you won't find this perspective of the Christmas story from heaven in the Gospels of Matthew or Luke. Where you will find is in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And you go all the way back there, and John gives us an account of what was happening on the morning that Christmas, uh, the morning that Jesus was born, or the evening that he was born. What's going on in the spiritual realm? What's the spiritual reality surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ? You'll find this account in Revelation chapter 12. And for this year, you wondered why Chris was referencing a dragon? It's because that's the theme of the sermon this morning. We are going to look at what's called the Christmas dragon. Now, that one's a little more scary, kids, right? If you were up against that one. This beast, yeah, I didn't hear that, but yeah, people are laughing. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, because I think you'd be a little bit smaller than one of his fingernails there. So, The Christmas dragon. And what John's getting at is that there's a spiritual reality to this story that we can so easily take for granted. And and, and why I like this is because it's helped me this year appreciate what we celebrate in different ways. So let's look at the passage. This is Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, and I'll skip down to verse 17. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands, and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is God's Word. Friends, that is how John says Merry Christmas. Now, you won't find that story in a Hallmark card, even though it would be quite appropriate to have a Hallmark card with a manger and a big red dragon on the front of it. There's no shepherds in this story, no magi, no Bethlehem, no manger, no cattle lowing in the background, no precious moments angels in the scene. What you have is a woman screaming in pain, giving birth, a monstrous red dragon waiting to devour the about-to-be-born child, 
and then the child who comes. So what is this all about? Who? Okay, this is a little weird, right? Well, what John's doing is he's saying this is the spiritual reality behind what Matthew and what Luke write about in the birth of Jesus Christ. There's more than just the baby in the manger, as sweet as that is. The baby came for a reason, and that's what John wants us to remember as we celebrate Christmas this year. So, who's who in this story? I'll just do this very briefly. The woman, obviously it alludes to Mary, but the woman's actually more than just Mary. The woman's even greater than Mary because the woman in John's passage here represents all of faithful Israel, out of whom the Christ child, the Messiah, would be born. Then you have the dragon, who if you go on and read verse 9, I skipped over that, skipped over that, John literally says, that is Satan. But it's not just Satan, it's all of the evil that Satan leads in the world. And then also you have the child, who is Jesus the Messiah. Now, as we go through this, the attempt of the, why the war? What's this about the dragon waiting to devour the child the moment it was born? Well, one thing it definitely alludes to is when King Herod and the wise men visited him, heard about the new king that was going to be born, what did he do? He had his soldiers go and kill all the male children in Bethlehem, two years old and under, because he had waited a little bit of time for the wise men to come back. They didn't. And so John is saying there's an evil behind this decree of Herod that sought to kill the Christ child at its birth. But the good news was the Lord was prepared even for that and sent Mary and Joseph away to Egypt. Our passage alludes to that. But this thing about the dragon trying to devour the child, it's not just the massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem. I think John's also reminding us, because he does a whole lot in a very short time in this passage, I think he's also referencing the fact that Jesus grew up, and one of the very first things that happened to him is he went out into the desert, and he faced the dragon there. Satan showed up and tempted him in different ways, seeking to devour him. Then later on, as Jesus wept blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, the dragon's tempting him, and finally Jesus goes to the cross, and the dragon roars with delight, thinking it's one. What's the deal? You see, what John tells us this morning is that what we celebrate at Christmas and this Christmas story, it's part of a much larger narrative of the entire Bible. And I'll give you it in brief. You go all the way back to the beginning. Here's how life is meant to be, friends. There is a God who created everything that there is. And that God loves you and actually made you and made me so that we could have perfect relationship with Him, perfect communion, where nothing is wrong in the world. There's a garden called Eden. There's no sin, there's no shame, there's no hurt, there's no crying, there's no death, no tears, nothing bad. It's everything good, everything delightful, everything joyful. And the Bible says that is how it was in the beginning and how life was meant to be. Us communing with a God who loves us. 
Well, what happened? A serpent showed up, tempted Adam and Eve to declare their own godhood, rebelling against the commands of the Lord who made them. And when they did that, everything unraveled. Sin entered the picture. Death entered the picture. There was separation in our perfect relationship with God, and it's why there's so much dysfunction among our relationships today. You know, if you've got family members in town and you're just kind of gritting your teeth through the dysfunction of it all, thank Adam and Eve. You know, they're the reason you have all that crud. You know, and, and no, it, it's normal. It's, it's, it's normal for there to be sinful dysfunction in every family. There's a crazy Uncle Louie in every family. And you know, I've told you before, if you're at Christmas dinner tomorrow and you're looking around and you don't know who crazy Uncle Louie is, guess what? You're it. <laughs> the dysfunction is you, baby. But we go back to the beginning. Life is not the way it's meant to be. And here's what happened, though. Rather than God saying, you've blown it, I'm going to destroy you, he acts in grace. And as Doug has referenced already this morning, and as Chris Gregory referenced with the kids, you read Genesis 3.15, and notice who God's talking to. He's speaking to the serpent and letting Mary, I mean, letting Adam and Eve over here. And what's fascinating to me, in John's reference, in Revelation 12, there's a woman, a giant serpent, dragon, and a child. Here in this passage, you have a woman, a serpent, and a promised coming child. There's definitely ties here. God said to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And we know there's this promise, one's going to be born one day, who's going to crush the head of evil. The serpent grows up into a dragon. But what we celebrate today and tomorrow is a baby that grew up into a conquering king. You see, Christmas, it is sentimental. It's sweet, it's special, but it's so much more. Because what we celebrate today and tomorrow is the birth, the arrival of the victorious king who was foretold by God here, who was prophesied about by the prophets, who God's people looked forward to, this Messiah, this king who's going to come, and what he's going to do in crushing the head of the serpent, he's going to make everything wrong right. He's going to turn everything bad into good. He's going to restore what we lost. That's what's coming. And when Jesus was born, why the angels sang His coming, why the shepherds came and worshipped, why the wise men from far came to bow down because there's a king. Not just any king, the king of kings. And think of it this way, since we're using the imagery of Revelation 12, Jesus is the hero that we celebrate today and tomorrow. You know, I grew up loving stories about dragons and knights and all that. I mean, all that kind of stuff I would love. You know, when you hear those stories, if you like them too, who do you usually make yourself out to be in those stories? The hero, right. 
because you're the one who does the great feat that defeats evil and is the hero and everyone celebrates. That's not us in the story. That's Jesus. We have a part in the story, but you know who we are? We're the ones being rescued. We're the ones being saved. If you know Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and his Hobbit book, remember Hobbits? They're little guys, and they're not very brave. And if they do anything great, it's usually by accident. They hold up their sword above them, and something falls on it and dies. That's us. We're accidental heroes, if at all. There is a hero, though, and we celebrate the birth of the king who will make the world right again. That's Christmas. And so as we gather around with our families, don't forget the baby didn't stay in the manger. The baby grew up and lived a life for you, died a death for you, and then rose again from the dead, crushing the head of the serpent for you. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. And what we remember at this time of year is that the king who came is coming again. And that's what we look forward to. Our hero, and when he comes again, it's not a baby in a manger. It's a king on a white horse. Let me use some, some uh, of our Western stories to maybe illustrate this for you. Because, you know, any good story that has truth to it, I think, has allusions to the story of the Bible in different ways. So kids, you can help with this. This first one I know you may be too young for, so your parents may have to answer this one. Um, Philip Yancey, I'll say this. He said, remember that from God's viewpoint in Satan's Christmas signals far more than the birth of the baby. It was an invasion, a decisive advance in the great struggle of the cosmos. So here's some illustrations for you. Who is this? Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. There's so many biblical allusions to this. The truth of it that Jesus would say is, you know what, I'm the returning king who is going to heal every single wound and will wipe away every single tear. That's who I am. All right, kids, you can help with this one, I bet. What's this story? Beauty and the Beast, right. Beast is kind of scary there, isn't he? Well, you know what? This actually, oh, he's not scary. Oh, you're braver than I am. I wouldn't get near that guy. This has illusions because what Jesus would tell you is, I will love you with a perfect love despite the ugliness of your sin. And my love will actually transform your very life. Okay, this one's a little older. Harry Potter, right? I love Harry. And I chose this picture because there's Harry looking in the mirror of Erased, seeing his parents that he lost when he was a young child. And the imagery here is that if you don't know the story, Harry's mother gave up her life to save her baby. There's great truth in this because Jesus says, My love, my sacrifice has set you apart and makes you part of my family. One last one. Kids? Aurora, right, Aurora, Sleeping Beauty. 
in the Christmas story, what we know is this. Jesus would say, I'm the one who can break the power of the worst curse and set you free. That's what he does. We're all under a curse because of sin, and yet Jesus broke it and sets us free. Ultimately, what Christmas teaches us is this. The world's a very dark place. It's messed up. We're messed up. But Christmas reminds us there's hope in a hopeless world. I know that some of you have been feeling rather hopeless this year. Like I said, some of you said, uh, have a bunch of family members in town. That can be really distressing. I know. There's hope in the midst of the worst of family situations. Because when you have Jesus Christ in your life, not only can you grit your teeth through the family dysfunction, He gives you the power to actually forgive somebody. Why? Because He's forgiven you perfectly. Some of my good friends here have, in the last month, lost family members. And I know this Christmas is particularly hard for you. Christmas reminds us that the king was born, crushed the head of the serpent, sin and death and the devil, and there's great hope that even though a loved one's been taken away, in him you will be together again. You will see your loved ones in the Lord again. Christmas is also a reminder It's not just looking back, it's looking forward. And here's what I want to encourage you in. Some of our young people, I know you're like, I'm young. I got my life to live and I'm kind of living it my way. What Christmas also reminds us is that there's a king who's coming back whom we will all stand before one day and give account of our lives to him. And there's only going to be one thing that makes the difference. Did you surrender to that king or did you live life your own way? See, Christmas points us ahead and reminds us, live with hopeful anticipation. The king's going to come and part of making everything right is judgment happens and then all the tears get wiped away. Friends, what we celebrate is so amazing. It's far beyond sentimentality or tradition it's your hero has been born he lived for you he died for you he is coming again for you and that's what christmas is all about charlie brown let's pray lord jesus we thank you it's easy to get caught up in the busyness and the stuff And the looking back and sentimentality, Lord, help us to with new eyes worship you as the king who has come, defeated evil, and is coming again, who will ultimately make all things right. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you gave up your heavenly home to be born in a manger to go to the cross so that we might be redeemed. Jesus, truly, your gift is one that never spoils. 
it never fades. And we thank you that despite the darkness of the world, despite the darkness that is often present in our own lives, we have hope because of you. And Jesus, I pray that every person here, young, old, man, woman, no matter what the background, that they would trust in you and know the life that you give. And Lord Jesus, we look forward to your return when you will reign forevermore. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.